0: Welcome to episode 150 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, and just sharing your passion for Linux and everything open source. Destination Linux is meant for all experience levels, whether you're a guru of Sudo or just heard about Linux for the first time today. Uh, and I'm, I'm Michael, and with me today, in, in honor of Thanksgiving, are the stovetop stuffing of Linux, Zeb, <laughs> Noah, and Ryan. So, Noah,
1: how's your week been? It's been good. I've really enjoyed the fact. It was funny. So Tuesday night, last question I get on the show is a piece of feedback, and somebody goes, how do you balance life and all the work? And I went, because I have really firm limits. I have firm limits in the sense, Like, there are things that I'm not going to infringe on. And so uh, immediately after that, the next day, I wrap up with work at 6 o'clock. We called it a day. And I spent the rest of the time at home with family. And, of course, by time at home with family, what I mean is playing a little Rocket League, eating some food, relaxing, and, of course, sitting downstairs in my lab, Coming up with all sorts of crazy Linux ideas and testing different Linux software and trying different Linux projects that I haven't had any idea uh, that worked and um, came across a project that has gone completely open source. Um, the name of the project is uh, Blue Cherry DVR, and they used to be they used to have some components of their. Software stack that were open source and some of them that were proprietary, and I just always felt like it was the better u- user interface than ZoneMinder. And go to their site to go check out what they have going on. And they've completely GPL'd their entire software stack from top to bottom. The whole nice. thing is open source and on GitHub. Downloaded it, spun it up on a VM, works fantastically. Supports Lux. You can have encrypted, you know, security camera recording. Works with all the major brands. Like it's a really cool piece of software. And so I'm kind of digging into that and seeing what's po- what's possible. and and. and and what works with it because it's it's kind of a major major iteration. For years, we've been kind of waiting for really good IP security camera software to come to Linux, and ZoneMinder has been kind of our best answer thus far. And there's just there's a lot of it's a lot of rough edges to be honest with you. And so I was glad to see that there's another player in this game. Actually, there's a couple I've come across now this weekend. But there's really a hard. big
2: undertaking probably in switching because you have quite an infrastructure yeah. built out.
1: Right. Yeah, not only that, like it's the cli- it's our clients too, right? Because their systems will undoubtedly change when if 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 I make a different change. But the, the thing is, like I, I look at the I try and look at the big picture, right? Unify is snooping on people's internal networks and sending that information back home, and they're only turning that off once people throw a fit. They've discontinued their original Unify camera series that's open and you can run on your own hardware and run as many cameras as you want on your own Debian box, and now you have to buy their stupid uh, hardware thing that's locked in, and it only supports 20 cameras. Um, and let's face it, if I'm going to put a camera and a microphone on the inside of my house, gosh darn it, do I want that thing to be secure? And do I, do I want that thing to be under my control? And how am I supposed to trust that on some random companies? Uh, you know, infrastructure. I want that on my infrastructure. I want that on sweet, sweet Linux. So, the the nice thing about Blue River is I'm able to use Lux. I'm able to use a standard CentOS box or a standard Ubuntu box, and then it's just a software package that runs on top and stores, you know, MKVs of video files around my house on an encrypted hard drive. Like that seems like a trustworthy way to go. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable with that model. I I just I wish there was a mobile app to be honest with you, and there isn't. So. Uh, there, there is some work, and there's some more investigation and exploratory to go. Synology is a, is a Linux-based box, obviously not open source, but ha, you know, it sounds like they have a lot of cool features. So I'm going to give that a shot. Um, then there's some other software that actually runs on Linux, but also is an open source. I want to give that a shot too, just to see, you know. What it's I love of.
2: Synology's interfaces, but that's mm-hmm. the biggest problem with them is they're not open source, right? So, you know, utilizing it over FreeNAS, which I was using a Synology NAS prior to you know, it was an easy solution because I'm gonna go the open source route. Um, But they actually have a pretty good interface and I did see that they have this new camera system. It's interesting because I'm running across a similar problem as you, Noah, in that I've just been seeing all of these as I'm getting more into reading about and learning about ethical pen testing and hacking and things like that. One of the things I'm coming across a lot in these communities is with video cameras in people's homes and yeah. apparently a lot of these big retail systems that people are buying and putting in their homes by big companies are very easily hackable to the <laughs> part where they basically list, they have websites that just list all these open cameras that they found and you can go on there and sit there and stare at people
1: 73,000 their- cameras on the site you're talking about. Seventy thousand people have bought cameras at Best Buy, taken them into their homes, put them in their bedrooms, in their kids' bedrooms, in their living rooms, in their kitchens, wherever. And they put this on the internet without knowing what they're doing. And a site collects all of those cameras and streams them and you just create an account and you can watch people in their house. It's terrifying. But Mm -hmm. honestly, everybody wants to make those sites out to be like the bad guy and the creep. And the truth is, you're the idiot. Like, you need to take your stuff off the internet. That site is just showing you what actual creeps are going to do to you if mm-hmm. you're not paying attention. So, there's a number of things that come into play there. Like, what cameras do you buy? Will they offer firmware updates? Are they secure on the internet, or do they need to be on their own VLAN or maybe their own separate network altogether? Like, we, we have to have answers to those questions. And As a company who prides itself on installing those things for people, I feel like it's incumbent upon me to take these into my house and say, before we put these into your business, into your house, like I need to know for sure that I'm comfortable with them and then I can recommend them to you. And that process has been really enlightening. Yeah.
2: And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, I I was looking at my own system going camera placement. Is something where I'm more interested in the security part where I want an alert if somebody is getting into my house or whatever that's my main purpose for the cameras not to watch my kids or anything else right Um, so for that I think camera placement is important you you have to keep in mind that even if you have the most secure system set up someone still could if they wanted to pick you out and decide to get into your stuff what are they gonna see and what are they gonna hear And a lot Mm -hmm. of times for me, the answer is I put a lot of my cameras outside my home instead of inside my home. So they're at the doorways, they're at the windows, they're at places where I would know somebody who's trying to get in my home would go to,
1: but if somebody hacked them, all they're going to be staring at is my yard. So playing devil's advocate, I have a dedicated 16 port POE switch. It's not connected to anything else other than the cameras and a dedicated Debian box that has Lux encryption with a strong passphrase on the hard disk required at boot up the key nowhere stored on the disk itself. Um, so the process of firing that box up is taking a, a USB key, plugging it in, and using that to get the Lux header. Typing in my passphrase, letting the box boot up, and now the, the now the NVR is going to run. It records cameras inside or outside of my house. But the only way anybody can ever get to that footage is if they were able, if if you had FBI level uh, forensics come into the house and within two minutes disconnect the box, dump the contents of RAM out, and hopefully extract that massively long passphrase that I can't even remember. Yeah. Like I feel like the threat model, while not non-existent, is so low it's hardly worth mm-hmm. considering. Yeah, yeah. But don't you
2: think about camera placement at the same time? I mean, even with all of that little threat vector I, that you wouldn't I, want to stick a camera in your bedroom, you know? So like,
1: I guess I, so. I, I mean, obviously, there's no real advantage of camera in a bedroom, right? Like, well, from a security standpoint. So, like, but so. But I guess as I kind of go through it, I guess my thought process kind of goes like this. I want to be comfortable in my home. And that means that any technology that I implement in my home has to be secure, open source, run on Linux, by all those things. Um, otherwise, I'm just not comfortable with it. And then once I establish that, then my thinking goes something like this. Just because I live in 2019 and there are bad people that want to do bad things with technology, that shouldn't stop me from enjoying the convenience of technology. And so if I if technology exists, wherein I can have a camera downstairs in my kid's playroom and they're playing downstairs and I can be upstairs working on Thanksgiving dinner. And, and I I don't feel like a less responsible parent because I'm not checking on them every 15 minutes. I'm checking on them every 30 seconds because I'm just, as I walk past that screen, I'm looking at them and watching what's happening and getting a real time image of what's happening downstairs with my kids. And if there is something that I need to go correct, I, I can do that when it's necessary. Like, to me, that seems like that's where technology is supposed to be. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be able to trust this stuff. We should. We have encryption. We have software that, that is able to protect from prying eyes, even when, they're, even when it's things like the government. We have the tools to prevent that. We just need to apply it in a logical, rational way to keep bad eyes off of our stuff and be able to still enjoy the convenience. Well, of, hey, I, I, I think
2: this t- is where laws are needed. I mean, I'm not a big yeah. proponent in government getting involved in everything, and generally that can turn bad. But in this case, you know, you go to the stores and your average person is not going to be listening to this podcast. They're not going to understand the security. They read on the box that it says it's secure. might even say somewhere on the box the word "encryption. They go, "Oh, that sounds really cool," And they go home, they plug it in, and they have this cool app that they connect to, and they assume everything is fine, and they spend a massive amount of money. It's not like this stuff is cheap. They're spending five, six hundred dollars or more on these devices they're putting on the home, but that's not enough for the companies. Then they got to take your information and have back doors and everything else and then they don't even actually apply real security and then you have to worry that they're going to abandon the project and you just spent $600 on something that's non-existent which uh, anymore which is you know there's just a lot of issues with this technology but you're not wrong what you say there there is some of the convenience you lose but to me I am looking for a good secure solution but I'm probably going to give up on anything inside my home being connected to the internet. So I'll keep really? every camera inside my home on a DVR that just records to a DVR and has screens and everything outside my home would be something that I would hook. Yeah, to well,
1: a, so a so you and I are on the same page. You and I are on the same yeah. page. The only, the only slight twist there is, the, the cameras that i 'm recording to a DVR that 's inside of my home happens to run over cat 5 cable and happens to use an IP protocol right gotcha. but there 's no connection to the internet whatsoever on that system nice. it 's okay. a completely gotcha. standalone closed circuit 16 point POE switch so like there 's no access from the outside and then my thought is one of two things: either when I leave the house and I do want to be able to see inside from afar and there's not and i 'm not going to be saying or doing anything private inside the house, then maybe I bridge those two networks or have some sort of a VPN DMZ, something like that. Yeah. Uh, my other thought is just have two parallel systems. Have one that's outside that always has on you know all the smartphone app stuff, and then one that's internal. I, you know, and I haven't really decided that's part of what right now we're t- I'm testing various different cameras because a lot of people aren't aware of the of the specifics, right? And it takes somebody to actually dig into these things. A very popular brand I keep seeing recommended is Hike Vision. Hike Vision is owned by the Chinese government, like they that they, they specifically make this stuff with firmware so that they can backdoor into it because the way that the Chinese government works for the Chinese citizen is very different from the expectation of privacy that we have here in the US. And so the concept that people are buying these cameras for sixty, seventy, eighty dollars off of, you know, Amazon and and putting them in their houses is terrifying to me. And but before I go on the air and say something like that, I want to have another option available. And so that's kind of what I've been working well, I on. I do week.
2: see comments from time to time if we bring up China China or Russia, like and they go, like your government's any different and that type of stuff. And and there's some truth to what they're stating there. But there's an article, for instance, just today when you said, you know, there's some privacy expectations that differ between governments in that China now requires apparently or going to require when you get a new phone that you have to turn on face ID so that it sends the facial recognition biometrics back to the government. There are things like that that so far, at least even in the United States, aren't technically allowed. I'm sure some of that data gets taken in NSA's big sweep, but technically that's illegal, whereas, you know, the Chinese Google's government selling. says we're doing it. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, I think I, I think, think a part is, of that is is what's legal and not legal in the U.S. I think the other part of that is. American companies like there is an expectation, whether or not it's whether or not it's actually honored in the United States. There's an expectation of privacy from consumers. There's an expectation of privacy uh, and an onus on the companies that make the cameras. Whereas with Hikvision and the Chinese government specifically, like the the way their law system is set up, the way their government is set up, is for the government to be able to spy on the people. Like that's the way that if you're going to go into business in China, that's something that you accept as part of doing business in China. So I, I it just it makes me ex- it, it, you know more nervous. And then the other thing too is you remember keep in mind this too right if the nsa which we can agree is probably very concerned about uh about leaking information out and you know that they're using ip cameras and you know the fbi is using ip cameras and you know like hospitals and clinics are using ip cameras and it seems to me that there are brands out there and i believe i've landed on a couple of them uh, that provide the kind of network security that you need to be able to trust that as long as it's not connected to the internet this is a safe thing to do inside of your home and obviously I'll know more uh, by the end of the week I can't wait this is something it.
0: yeah very yeah, but it's
1: something I heart. think it's useful to know and I think yeah. it, it's useful to you know throw a pat a wire shark pipe right? is us camera's calling and yeah. why are they calling them I want to know those things
0: awesome so zeb tell us about your week and before you get into it I just want to say happy birthday zeb
3: thank you very much indeed zeb
1: it's your happy birthday birthday yeah, we got to spend a little time Yeah, on your of birthday course. congratulations on your trip around the sun my friend
3: yeah exactly. well when we, when we get to my age we don't bother about birthdays because i stopped counting at 50 but if you want to get pedantic i'm 50 years old and 132 months <laughs> you'll have to work on the maths. i'm just <laughs> i'm just going to add 12 to 132 next year if people want to know how old i am there but you no, go. it's been a good week we had a nice lunch today we went out to a local sort of like restaurant and and had some good fun with my grandchildren as well. So, yeah, it's been an enjoyable day. And then I get to sit with you guys and geek out. It's just marvelous.
2: I mean, what a birthday present to be able to hang out with us. Exactly. I
3: know. It's fantastic. It's really, really <laughs> enjoyable. So, on to more serious matters. It was a very busy week, uh, work-wise. So, I didn't get a lot of playing. Um, but I'm going to blame Ryan on this one because I'm now obsessed with tweaking my CPU and memory. Yeah. Uh, and I saw I got... Ryan put me onto a program called Geekbench. And my previous best was from a single core, I got 4144, and on a multi thread, I got 52611. So I've been looking at some websites on how to do these things. And thankfully, Asus has a very simple motherboard. So I've been bumping them up bit by bit. So my single core has now gone from 4144 to 4462. Nice. And the multi-thread has gone from 526 double one to five six one eight one. So quite a big bump on the multi-thread. It is. Yeah. So what, what does all this mean? I have absolutely no idea, but it was fun <laughs> doing it. And the machine is stable. So I'll probably turn it back down in a couple of weeks. Because one of the things that I did read is if you really don't know what know what you're doing and you're pushing your hardware to the limits, I'm guessing you will slowly wear it out longer than if you Put it on same levels, but I'm guessing that would also only be true if it got really hot, or you know things were starting to so, go wrong. So, I
2: mean, this is an interesting uh, topic you bring up because a lot of people ask me to overclock or do overclock videos, and I don't uh, do overclock videos. Um, it's not that I don't overclock and water cool and all the f- cool and fancy things that us geeks with hardware like to do. It's that it's insanely taxing on systems if done incorrectly it could break uh-huh. people's thousand dollar equipment that they've spent you know a year saving up for and then they're like oh cool this dos geek guy does it let me go try it but i've been working on computers for you know over 20 years now so it, there's did a big you really difference.
1: did you really just do the i'm prof- I'm the professional don't try this at home
2: i am I, I, the professional and i do <laughs> do the don't try this at home because there are so many videos out there where people are doing the stupidest things to get mm-hmm. you why not make videos
1: and tell people like why that's because they
2: don't listen they think it's cool they think it's neat and delitting, for instance is one of the fads that people love to do which has got to be the worst thing that people do videos on out there which is popping the lids off your cpu to expose the die directly and then applying cooling directly to the die itself except there are so many issues that can go wrong with the lidding, including the fact that a lot of people have broke their very expensive processors because some of those lids are soldered on. And if you don't look up your specific CPU, you're ripping out the die along with that cap and things like Mm -hmm. that. So it's just now if you want to play with your motherboard settings, like you're doing Zeb, I I tell people it's like a car. If you go and you put all the high tuned equipment and turbos and things in your car, you're going to go faster and your parts are going to wear out faster. That's mm-hmm. what works. That's yeah. why race cars, you know, they're replacing parts on them constantly to keep them on the road because high performance, lots of heat, lots of mm-hmm. heat builds up, you're going to lose a little bit of life out of it. But a little tweaking here and there hurts nothing, uh, and you can have fun with it. And the, the key is to keep your cooling in match with the overclocking that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you are using a stock cooler and then you're overclocking these numbers, then you're going to have a ton of heat being produced And you're going to have no way to truly be able to dissipate it. If you have a higher end cooler, aftermarket cooler, and you're doing these tweaks, then you can keep it there for a long time because you're essentially keeping it at a low temperature. But that's why Mm -hmm. I don't talk about uh, doing that type of stuff a lot. But I think the way you're doing it is very safe. If you stick with your motherboard settings, do a little tweak, test it, see if it's stable, you can have some fun and then, like you said, put it back to normal when
1: you're done.
0: Yeah, I agree with Ryan. That's why I don't talk about it much either or even knowing how to do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's no point in learning how to do it because, uh, you know, all those reasons. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's no point in not
2: learning, but you have to know what the risk is, and nobody talks about the risk. The risk is you may lose your $500 CPU. Your CPU may not only last a year or two versus Okay, so five you won't
1: make three. videos about it. Would you ever come on the Ask Noah Show and, and explain the dangers of overclocking if I asked you about it? Sure, I would. All right. Okay. Yes. We might have to
3: do that. Sounds good. So the, the rest of my week was really quite fun because as everybody knows, there's a steam sale going on at the moment. And I mainly managed to bag Need for Speed Hot Pursuit um, and had an online game with uh, English Bob and Silent Robot. And it was so so much fun barging them in, I mean, carefully passing them so that, I could win, <laughs> so that I could win the race. So all of my uh, Caravan Conquers paid dividends as they were slowing down for the bends, and I thought, well, if I off him over the cliff, he's going to take him hours to get back. So I'll win the race. So yeah, it was really good nice. fun, and it's still on sale. So come, come and join us on a on a game of Hot Pursuit. It's a great laugh. Yeah.
2: So are you saying here, for the record, Zeb, that you dominated EB and Silent Robot? Not at all. Oh, okay. I thought that's <laughs> I, what you were saying.
3: I came, I came in last more often than not because. I I misjudged ramming them and then just hit the barrier myself.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done, man. So Ryan, what's new in your world? So this week I have spent a lot of time with the family being a holiday and finally having some days off. But I did get a chance to get a video out uh, on my final kind of conclusive review on the Pinebook Pro. I've been amazed at the support for these videos out there. There's so much interest in this Pinebook. I'm actually seeing a lot of people commenting on the video that based on their comments, I can tell are not individuals who have necessarily used Linux before or played with Linux heavily. So a lot of people just interested in the fact that they get this kind of hackable laptop for a very reasonable price and some of the cool things that you can do with it. So that's been fantastic to see. And I actually plan to uh, know a hack away at this device a little bit. Not overclock it, but there are some things that I think you could do, for instance, flipping the speakers around so they're front facing Uh, based on looking inside of the device itself. I think I can use a a basically a hot air workstation with a very tiny tip and be able to cut some holes into the top plastic cover, flip the speakers up so they're front facing because there's no reason based on what I see that they're not and Mm -hmm. have some better sound out of them, maybe even upgrade the speakers myself and things like that in videos coming up. So I'll be doing some hacks around with that device because I won't feel bad if somebody breaks their $199 Pinebook Pro as much as their $1,000 Intel CPU.
0: Especially considering the Pinebook Pro, you can also just replace replace the guts later and
2: just, there you go, so.
0: Exactly,
3: yeah. Absolutely, but just let me say one thing that you shouldn't be surprised, Ryan, because those videos are so well made and your enthusiasm just, jumps out at the screen at you so even if somebody's not a geek after watching your videos and all the stuff that you're doing it's infectious people want i'll have some of that let's go and try it it's great stuff thank you zip
2: yeah so i hope it introduces a lot of new people to linux and and it sounds like it is and and the pine team is insanely supportive you know I, Mm. i bought this out of my own money went and got this Pinebook pro um i've said some things about issues that i have with the device and all of my videos, things that are good, the bad, the ugly, but they're out there retweeting it, talking about it on their forums, messaging me about the issues I'm coming across saying, hey, we got a fix coming for this. Like they've been really, really supportive and involved with the community, which is what we expect from Pine64 and what exactly you're getting from them, which has been awesome as well. And then lastly, I did another repair for Dark One. He uh, has sent another laptop that had a shattered screen in it um, a very strange form-factored screen and um, he got the laptop for nothing and was like, hey, I'll just send this to Ryan and make him fix it, uh, which I did. So that's been <laughs> repaired. But um, what's interesting is it was another Windows machine. So I'm just putting this out there on the show that Dark One Linux and Tech News should be Dark One Windows and Tech News going forward, just a the thought there.
3: <laughs> I hope you sent them back with Linux on though.
2: Of course, he, that's the one cost of the repair that Linux comes on it next. So Michael, how's your week been?
0: Uh, my week's been pretty good. I actually had a little bit of a scare this this this, week, this morning because my power was out. So I was like, I'm not gonna be able the show. And then all of a sudden, like an hour before it came back on. So that we got lucky on that. I've actually been doing quite a bit and I wanted to talk about it in the sense that I've been doing uh, some form integration with the websites for various different uh, podcasts and stuff. So now when you go to the forums, uh, you can actually reply to threads that were created on the websites for the individual podcasts. So if there's an episode when Destination Linux X next up episode comes out, when you reply on the forum for that thread, it will automatically show up as replies on the post on the website. So I've done a lot nice. of integration there and it's really cool stuff. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing so far this week I did for the show is the DL picks because we've you know we've been doing this software spotlights and tips and tricks for, you know, at least a couple, few months or so. And well, a lot longer than that. But we wanted to uh, kind of create a database of all of it, and ca- so people can go search for it and see what all the picks we've we've covered. And you know, also as a good reference point for us to not duplicate previous picks. There's a little extra bonus this is there.
2: Huge, and honestly, one of the most requested things that we haven't had a chance to get mm-hmm. around to. And so yeah. you know, um, well we really enjoy the software picks and the and. Uh, we get a lot of people asking how was that spelled again in the comments. What was the software they were talking about? And we put it in the show notes, but it's not convenient as having one place to see everything we've ever covered. Well, it's also, there's uh, times it, where they
0: might not know which episode what w- w- that they remember. Like right. they remember a certain t- application, but they don't remember what episode it was in to get the link and everything. Now you can just go to destinationlinux.org/picks, and everything is in that page. That's awesome. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, load balancers, integrated firewalls, and so much more. You can get access to this, plus their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free. DigitalOcean also has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $50 credit for one month by going to do.co DL. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $50 credit by going to do.co DL. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode, as well as providing great services that we utilize for all sorts of things, including the
2: forum that I mentioned earlier. What about the website that I just redid on DigitalOcean? And to to you who has been nagging me since I moved to NeoCities to please make a good website for once. I finally migrated to DigitalOcean my website back uh, from NeoCities, and uh, you know put put the typical stuff in there. Got it all set up. It was quick. It was easy. It was the one-click install for a WordPress Ubuntu server site up and running in like 15 minutes. Um, You know, some basic security plugins and boom, you're ready to go. It was super simple. And now my site is better. But Michael said, please give me admin access so I can fix the design. So (laughs) I can't win either way. But Dio (laughs) sure made for me to uh, transition my site to digital.
0: Yes, it it works great. It just needs to look a little better. (laughs) Jerk. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to the community feedback, we have Alex sending in a message, and he says, Dear Destination Linux podcast team, first, I wanted to thank you for your engagement in the community and great res- resources that you're creating, not only DL, but every show in the network, especially for me who just recently switched to Linux, I think about a month ago, and I found out about this podcast and the Linux community in general. You present very complex material in a straightforward manner so that everyone can understand and enjoy it. Thank you for that awesome. feedback. He says, I'm running Zorin OS, and on old MacBook Pro I had lying around, and it works really well. There are also plans to switch my main machine to Linux until uh, as soon around Christmas time. Also, I'm still using Google services as you can see, but I would like to get to a point so that I don't have to rely on those anymore or any of the big companies. I just haven't completely figured that out yet. So, if any any advice would be appreciated.
3: Oh, uh, Google and questions is like Michael and KDE. Where you go, Ryan? Uh,
0: yeah, this is uh this no. is my sweet spot. Right? <laughs> I actually. Think- so, but are you saying that? I'm a big fan of KDE. Are you saying Ryan's a big fan of Google? Is that what you're implying?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a
2: huge fan. So much so that on the front page of my new website, now hosted on DigitalOcean, there is a link to DeGooglify Your Life in there, in which I provide a list of alternatives and email services like Proton Mail uh, to which I always slaughter their name, but however you say that one uh, as an option. Browsers, of course, you should be on Firefox. Um, password managers, search engines you should use, DNS servers, alternatives to YouTube, such as BitChute and PeerTube, Android alternatives, and other privacy things you should be doing. So if you check out dosgeekcommunity.com, you'll see a link right there on the front page to degooglify your life. And you'll see lots of recommendations there because it's... I'm so happy that seeing so many people now starting to realize that these Google services, Amazon services, and things like this are just privacy invading garbage. And it's so welcoming to see someone send an email like this that's newer to Linux, they're switching their you know, MacBook over to Linux, then they're looking at the taking the next steps and getting rid of these Google services that everybody's been so reliant on. And, you know, it makes sense. We were so reliant on it. In a lot of ways, it's become part of our language, right? Even Noah and me were talking about uh, a couple episodes ago about just saying, oh, go Google this. It's just part of your speech. Mm-hmm. And it's just become a part of a lot of our lives because these services, that company seemed to be such an amazing kind of a company when it first came out. I wrote my college thesis on Google's way of managing people that was so different than anything we had seen and since that time of course they've turned into every other corporation out there that we've despised so i
1: don't know if that's quite fair that might be a bit i, I a don't stretch. think so i think okay, it's, so, he's right I they have, they have innovated
2: new ways to
0: dislike them
1: yeah, exactly. no, I mean, that's true for sure. But I mean, I'm just saying like as far as like, the people who work at Google, like you and I know them, we meet with them like to a certain degree, there is still a very forward thinking momentum of like work when you want to work, keep the hours you want to keep, use the technology you want to use, set up your workstation the way you want. Like there are like I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, yes, Google is a, a horrendous company that terrifies me. They still have some good ideas and we still should. Appreciate them for that uh, as always
2: when we talk about companies, the people are good. I have friends that work at Google yeah. today, but I can mm-hmm. tell you that and they the have, they have mentioned that their entire so I've been in corporate America most of my life. I started at 17 working for a big corporation. So I've grown up in this world, and most of the things that I would complain about in a very stereotypical company were not happening at Google when it first launched. They were doing these employee lunches that were extravagant. They had this work on anything you want project for 20% of your time during the week. You could work in any area of the business within reason that you wanted. They had a forum that you could go and talk where every employee and the executives were sitting there discussing things with each other. They had all kinds of cool ideas. All of that's gone out the window recently. Now people are scared to put things on the forum. Now there's the same retribution type things that you see in normal corporate, corporations, the benefits are going away. So the company has done a complete left turn uh, from where it was headed. And until they change leadership out completely, you can see almost weekly now, their employees are literally leaving the building and protesting the company's involvement in various military applications or Chinese government deals and partnerships that they're doing. And it's just, it's turned into a mess. But mm-hmm. you're right they started out right and those those concepts they had were correct that's what helped them grow but they just have clearly left them behind yeah
0: especially mm-hmm. even
1: I can see that They've, yeah. they've
0: changed so much of themselves. Like even their fundamental, like motto of don't be evil. They even changed that, which implies, are they trying to be evil now? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. why, why would they, you're like, why would you ever get rid of that? Yeah. Right? But like yeah. that just, that's just like, such a, like, even if they didn't mean to make a statement on that, it makes a statement by getting rid of it. And it's like, okay.
3: Mm-hmm. But if I could just bring it back to the email, what I really like about this is I'm thinking if Alex hadn't found Linux and hadn't found destination Linux and listened to us talking about other things, Mm -hmm. would he still be oblivious sitting there on windows, using all these Google products and not really aware of what's, of what's happening out there. That's what I find really good about this. He's found Linux. He's found the way, and he can now see a different light at the end of the tunnel instead of the Google light.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's definitely awesome because there's there's a lot of people who aren't aware of Google's history and their current structure. So I think this is a fantastic example that you know if if you as long as you are putting out the information to try to to you know provide as much accurate information as you can, it can get to people, and that's
1: awesome. Yep. Nomad writes in and says, I know Noah has been a supporter of private internet access for a long time. It was based on his recommendation that I started using them a couple of years ago. It was recently announced that private internet access was in negotiations to be purchased by Cape Technologies early next year. Cape was formerly known as Crossrider, a company known to bundle adware with their products. Here's a link to the article on the name change. In it, the CEO says it was due to the association with past activities of the company. If the acquisition goes through and Cape plans to assume the name of private internet access as well i'd like to know where what your guys thoughts on this are and whether Noah specifically or any of the other guys who might use private internet access are considering switching providers and if so where i actually covered this question uh, this is kind of a cop-out but the truth is i, I covered this question in depthly on my show last week on ask Noah. so if you want the in-depth answer then i recommend you Go over to podcast.asknoashow.com and check out the latest episode because I spent literally an hour explaining VPN technologies, what the different VPN technologies are, what some of the other alternatives are on the market, and what considerations you might care about um, as you go through them. But the, the short version is if you're looking for alternative VPNs, there is Proton VPN, which has a free version or they have a paid version uh, that starts at four bucks per month and you can go as high as the 24 bucks per month month. There's Mulvad, which is essentially what I would consider to be the community replacement for PIA in that what people were so excited about PIA five, six years ago, Mulvad is the company that they're excited about now. Um, It's five euros per month or $5.50 per month. And you can pay as you go rather than committing to any long-term thing. You can, of course, pay with bitcoins and all of those kinds of things. And then, of course, there are a number of different ways to set something like this up yourself using various different virtual servers and, 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 and different VPN technologies. And so what kind of VPN technology you want to rely on, what you're expecting out of your VPN technology? Are you wanting to have just a way to kind of secure your traffic when you're in a public Wi-Fi or is like everything you Google on the internet, you don't want to be attributed back to you? What are you looking for? Looking for and depending on what you're looking for and 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 what your requirements are uh, it, the 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 answer changes but the as far as private internet access of itself is it concerning absolutely yeah have I cancelled my membership or anything like that no I want to see what this company does with yeah mm-hmm. it's entirely possible that this company looked up and went listen people there is a lot of money to be made in protecting people's privacy private internet access is doing that we made money by exploiting people's privacy now that it seems like we can make more money by protecting it, let's make money by protecting it. I, I don't know that Cape Technology is a good or bad company. I just I trust that they're interested in profit. PIA is successful precisely because they have a track record of protecting users' privacy. Maybe that's all it is. Um, so we don't know yet is the answer. But if you want alternatives, they're certainly out there. And I have a complete rundown, an hour-long rundown, at com slash 155
3: now I know it's a very simplistic thing to say but we had Christelle back on the show um, from private internet access and I honestly believe that if she felt there was anything nefarious that was going to happen she would leave and let us know so I'm gonna keep a very close ear to the ground as to what Christelle is letting out the words she's using how she's saying things and I'm not going to change until like Noah We get that. And it might be like, oh, yeah, you silly boy. It's too late now. You've given them all the information. But I want to wait and see and give them a chance yet because at the moment, it's just a name change by the higher-up corporation. The people who still work for PIA are there in places of influence. Let's see if they get their minds changed by corporate America coming in. And I think that's the key. with that. be a
2: massive exit exodus of some of the employees at the higher ups at PIA during this acquisition, which generally happens between six and 12 months after an acquisition takes place, that would be a sign that something could be really awry. Um, and and to pay more attention right now, I don't think anything's going to change at the moment that we see, but you're right. I think we would have enough communication outlets that if we hear something, we'll let everybody know.
0: So the Zeb, you made a good point that I didn't think about like having an, a sign of you know like the exodus would be a good sign to say that it's going to be an issue Um, but it does it does make me kind of worried about the like there's it's a weird situation because if pia was purchasing something there'd be no argument like we'd be like yeah of course they're they're we they're the ones in control still but they're being purchased by someone else and that person the people who are in control could make changes in the back end that we have no idea until it's too late we don't know for sure, but like, if, if this company had already proven itself, let's say like Proton had purchased them, there'd be no issue. It's just the fact that this company that, we, that has purchased them, we know for a fact, used to include adware in their products when they were known as Crossrider. And then they switched to a new name to, to kind of differentiate themselves from the previous actions of Crossrider. And I think, it's, I think there's been reports about them, like the people who are in control of the Cape company now are different from the people in control of the crossrider but it still just kind of creates this weird like mm-hmm. limbo phase it's worth watching yeah we don't know exactly so i would say that it's it's we it's not worth saying that, 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 that there's anything to worry about right now but it also is something that we should just you know keep an eye on it essentially so i don't yeah. know it's it's a, it's a it's a weird situation to Uh, to deal with because it's just all up in the air right now and i guess we'll see i don't think i'll be changing at all maybe i'll add an extra vpn or something but i I don't i'm gonna be checking out Mulvad. that seems
2: interesting to me
3: yeah so we love hearing from our worldwide community Uh, we have many ways for your voice to be heard you can send us a short email or a video uh, that may get incorporated into the show and you can see that we uh we do pick our emails quite specifically to encourage that um, engagement with the rest of the community and and to develop a conversation. So keep them coming because we really do enjoy using them in the show. So on to some distro news and Zorin OS apparently has some privacy concerns. Zorin OS has received a lot of positive publicity lately on its latest release of its distribution. However, with popularity comes controversy. This time the controversy is a privacy concern noted by some users on Reddit. Users started reporting that they were seeing anonymous pings sending an anonymous unique identifier of your computer every 60 minutes without any user consent. Now, Zorin has responded to the controversy stating that the data is an anonymous unique identifier, but that it does not log IP addresses and it's only used to determine unique users of the OS. They go on further to explain, it generates a random series of letters and numbers, which can be found in Varlib Zorin OS census UUID. In addition to discussing how seriously they take privacy, Zorin included the script and screenshots of the database and what it collects. Um, And then the article goes on to um, mention that, uh, comparing this to Ubuntu, Uh, RTM Zorin, mentions that Ubuntu comes pre-installed with Popularity Contest, which sends data of what packages the user has installed to developers. And Zorin doesn't include that in their install. Now, Ryan, I think you've heard back from Martin Wimpress of Ubuntu that maybe counteracts that?
2: Yeah, so I reached out to Martin because, uh, you know, I had some ideas that what was being stated in this article was wrong, but who would know better than Martin himself? So Martin clarified that popularity contest is installed by default, as it has been in Debian for many years. However, popularity contest has been disabled by default also for many years. And that they do, because in the article, they also mentioned something about you know, uh, Ubuntu may or may not collect IP addresses. The answer is no, they do not log IP addresses via Ubuntu report either mm-hmm. uh, within their data. So, um, you know, some of these articles, it took me all of five minutes to reach out to Martin and say, hey, is this the case or not? And we got an answer. And I feel like people writing articles like this, it kind of creates an unnecessary privacy reaction of mm-hmm. who, what Ubuntu's doing um ubuntu's doing the same thing they may or may not be logging your ip address why not ask uh one of the developers it it takes five minutes or even unity or something yeah. but
3: for me this brings a more interesting question That okay so zorin is out there and they're trying to collect information on the number of users they have whilst maintaining its anonymity so there no doubt there are people who can go out and check that is there anything wrong with that? What's wrong with trying to collect information about the users that you can have, or the users you have, the type of hardware they're using, if it can help you improve Linux? There is one is thing wrong with it.
0: Wrong? M- most on. distros don't do it. They, sh- I think every distro should do it because it is a situation where we don't have any idea how many people actually use Linux, and we haven't for decades. Purely because people just don't ask and don't have a situation for this, this is essentially a machine- a machine i d and this i d is associated to an individual machine and then it sends back the data. I think the weird thing is that it's sixty minutes like I don't think that's necessary to do it every hour it's just that's odd, but like once a week. Yeah. yeah, once once a day at the most is is probably in, uh, fine. But like uh, you could do it. You could say like this has already been sent, so only update it once a week, just in case. Like that, could – you could be doing that to see how often. If they try to, ch- if they you know distro hop off of your system, I, that could see why they would want to do that. But once an hour seems excessive. But good
3: that- luck. <laughs>
0: but the the idea of just taking a machine id is not a big deal there's actually other distros that do it as well uh in fact uh kde neon also has a machine id system where it sends a unique identifier for that system uh and it's completely anonymous in that way and like none of them take the ip address none of them have actual like identifiable information even the ubuntu stuff where they inst- they the their original thing they were talking about is they were kind of Mace, uh, conflating the Ubuntu dash report system with the popularity contest because the popularity contest is from Debian and it's mm-hmm. also disabled by default by default in Debian because it's idea like you manually volunteer the information and except at the same time that most people don't even know that popularity contest is a, or PopCon is even a package in Debian. So most people don't do it because they're not told that it exists. Uh, so it's not even, and there's not, not much value in that because people aren't aware. I think that it's a, a good idea for people to have or for distros to create a machine ID. And I think it's important to know how many people are using your system and how many people are using your distro. I don't
2: disagree with anything you're saying there, but I, and I don't think anything Zorn was doing here was nefarious in any way. They weren't trying to get one over on people, but I think this is a great lesson for, you know, Ubuntu hasn't always had the best communication when it came to the 32-bit situation, for instance, but one sure. thing they did really well when they were going to gather additional uh, data that you had the choice to opt out of during the install was mm-hmm. they did this big announcement about they were doing it. They told you exactly the information they were going to get. Then they created a web page on top of that to post all of the information they're collecting so you Mm -hmm. could see it and everybody could use it. And they just had a really solid communication plan. When you're dealing with people in the Linux community, you have to realize that we are, as a whole, a much more educated computer user that is very interested in privacy and security. In fact, I would say that's in the top two reasons people switch to Linux is privacy and security. So if you you are going to have an operating system and you are going to do any type of data collection, you have the responsibility to be extremely clear on this is what we do, here is how we do it, and everybody knows when you install it, and you provide an opt-out option. And in this Mm -hmm. case, their excuse for saying, well, we didn't get around to the opt-out feature in this release cycle seems a little odd to okay. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't quite fly. It, to me, it seems like, hey, it's not a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. And then, oh, we couldn't get it to it in the release cycle for the opt out. So we're going to add it in later. Again, do I think it's negative intention? No. I just think it's a big oversight. And I hope Zorn learns from it in the future to say, hey, we're dealing with a community that uh, is very much on top of their privacy and security. And we need to do a much better job. You know, with being Mm. transparent and what we're doing, so that stuff like this doesn't get blown out of proportion. I agree completely. Now, I
3: know know we're showing a little bit of cynicism here about we thought, well, maybe they think we won't bother, and let's see if we get caught. But again, having interviewed uh, RTM on our destination Linux, I think it was a genuine mistake because he seemed very switched very clue as to what the community wants. But then this also then brings up the very big question: Do you have to? opt out because you're automatically opted in or do you have to opt in because you're automatically opted out i prefer the opt you're already opted in method because that Mm. way those people who just go next 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 don't care so what so what does it matter that you've got their information and you're counting numbers whereas those people who would really care will read that and opt out so i think you know automatically opted in is a better solution
0: I think there's other people who argue that it's you know the the privacy oriented people who are like zealots I guess in the in the privacy side of saying that having it opted in is a negative because it assumes a compliance and I think that that's I think that's you know a bad argument because opted in is a good way of doing it mainly because if if someone doesn't care and they just don't also don't care enough to opt in. If you have them automatically opt out by default, then they might not opt in and you will not even have any idea at all. If they are opted in automatically and you say you also get the information about when they opt out, then you know that they chose not to. So you you get more data in that sense, too. And like
2: Ubuntu, create a very clear screen where it says it. And if people don't Mm -hmm. read, they're probably not reading any terms and agreements of anything anyways and (laughs) just (laughs) accepting stuff all over the place. But uh you have to make it a clear screen a clear screen clear indication this is the mm-hmm. option don't want to hide it you know in some box at the very bottom that nobody reads with tiny text you know they you just need to be very upfront with it i think zorn can learn from this and i'm sure they will improve upon it in their next releases. Yes, I agree. And I also
0: think that it's a great point about Ardium that he that we've had conversations with him when we know that they did they wouldn't do this stuff maliciously and it would just seems like an oversight thing. However, I would also point out that if you're going to compare what you're doing with someone else, make sure you're fully informed on the thing that you're comparing it to. Because mm-hmm. in this case that they were not. So, yeah.
1: You know, one one thing that that does dawn to me is I agree, Ryan, like 100% that the the vast majority of people that come to Linux are coming because of security and or privacy and or because they just want something different. But one of the things that I feel like requires cutting a little bit of slack is when you have a distro that has a very specific purpose like Zorn OS does, Zorn OS is specifically designed to be a soft landing place for Windows users. And so to that end, like I understand if I, I would understand more if a privacy focused distro like Tails had some sort of reporting feature and like it would be totally appropriate to take them to task on that. But when you start talking about your focus is a soft landing spot for Windows users. Like it's not inconceivable that mistakes happen. It's not inconceivable that inadvertent decisions are made. And sometimes we just have to be a little bit patient with smaller niche distros that are trying to accomplish one very specific task. Is that me making an excuse or is, is there some legitimacy? I mean,
2: no, you're not wrong. And I don't think this is a bash on Zorin situation either here. And I think companies wanting to understand who's using their product is fair. But you also have to, if you're if you're in a business and Zorin sells this, right? They sell their operating system. They have it for free as well, but they sell versions of this. They're trying to make a company out of this, which is fine. And I'm very happy with them. And I think a lot of people love their product for a good reason. It's a good product. But when you you have to know your customers. And for instance, like you said, a lot of people are coming from Windows. They hear Windows collects metadata on them. And if you go out there and do general searches, which I actually did this week on what metadata Windows grabs, a lot of articles just state your IP address, machine information. They don't go into all of the details. So then now this new Windows user sees these articles start popping up. And sees people reacting to it negatively, and goes, "Well, I've just switched from Windows to get away from metadata to Zorn to now have my metadata because Zorn didn't make it clear enough, and that allowed." So it's a mistake, but I think the responsibility is for Zorn to to just fix it. It's it's not what people are making it out to be. It's not way right. the way this article shifted it to be. That's not what they were trying to do but because they weren't as upfront as say Ubuntu was when they did this, it create it creates this negative cycle and it's gonna create that negative cycle potentially with a lot of new people going, well, I just switched from one metadata grabbing operating system to another when that's far from the case, but people who don't really understand the specifics could get lost in that.
0: So I, another thing I wanted to say is that I, I agree what you're saying, Ryan, and I also wanna point out there's something that Zoran has done, like they need to be more transparent about it. And also don't rely on a third party article website or news site or whatever to convey the the message or what you want to be saying. Like if you go to their blog site, they don't have an article about this happening. You need to be uh, upfront on your own platform and express what you're doing and why you're doing it and that kind of thing. And that way people could have, uh, you know, fully be be fully informed. And as a secondary point to that, you're saying you couldn't get into this release. Well, your releases are not, as far as I know, your releases are not like, you know, required deadline structured. You could just set it back a couple weeks or so to put that solution in there. And I think mm-hmm. there'd be no issue whatsoever. I think that's what, well, actually, no, if you don't tell people about it as well, there'd still be an issue. But like, there's there's you, it'd be less of an issue if you had, gave them the option and take a little bit more time to make sure you could. So overall, I think there's not that much of a privacy concern for Zorin. And I think a little, people are overreacting. But at the same time, there are things that they can improve
1: on. Ubuntu Touch runs on the Raspberry Pi. Ubuntu Touch is making its way across the plethora of current devices and upcoming phones like the Pi phone, the Vala. So why not make it run on the Raspberry Pi with the touchscreen LCD? Well, that's exactly what's being done. And the Ubiports team has been testing out Ubuntu Touch on the Pi 7-inch touchscreen LCD. Now this means that Ubuntu Touch gets a true development platform for the future and if you're already using Ubuntu Touch then you also have something to look forward to in the upcoming OTA, uh, in the upcoming over-the-air update including better support for Bluetooth headsets, mirror display server that can run on Wayland and uh, that will allow the user to suspend the session and save you battery. Now Ubuntu Touch is heating up and is well-deserved, and they have an incredible crew of de- developers, and the OS keeps getting better with every release. My question to you is this. Who is the user that is sitting down in front of their machine, and they're going, I have this Raspberry Pi, I need an operating system bar. I don't want to put them onto too mate, I don't want to do, I want a mobile operating system that isn't quite on par with Android or iOS yet. That's... That's the part that has always confused me to the point that every time Dalton Durst comes on to ask Noah and I ask him that question, like who is the primary user? Who are we targeting? Who are the people that are signing up to do these things? Uh, like it's become a joke. Like I continually ask that question, but I, I, I'm still looking for the answer. What problem is this solving? What user base is this fulfilling? So to me, this,
2: the, the way I understood this is this creates a standardized platform for them to continue to build Ubuntu Touch off of. So everything in the mobile world um, is, well, not everything, but a lot of things in the mobile world are ARM-based. You have this very stable setup with the Raspberry Pi 4 in which you could tell anybody who's interested in helping out and developing for this tool, uh, oh, you want to help us with Ubuntu Touch? No problem, get a Raspberry Pi, install this OS on it, has the touch screen, has everything that a mobile phone would have, and you can go in there and start developing and building things like applications and other stuff for it right from a you know standardized piece of equipment that anybody can go grab. This is much different than telling people, go buy that seven-year-old phone off of eBay for 25 bucks, hope that it's the same, you know, uh, uh, still runs the same or has the same uh, hardware in it right. that uh, the phone in the US has and versus the one in the UK has and all of this type of stuff. So it just creates a standardized platform for them.
1: Okay. So, just playing devil's advocate for a moment so the the standardized platform is a desktop replacement all in one p c designed for learning. I mean, does that not seem like a strange platform to standardize a mobile operating system on?
2: I don't well, think really. so because they have to pick something out there they're they they don't have a phone created for just their operating system. So they have to create something they're going to standardize that is accessible to anybody who wants to become a developer and help out with this project. And I actually think it's a really cool idea because of the fact that you've got a $35 system that anybody for the most part could afford. And if you found a really good developer that couldn't afford it, you could afford to just send them one versus going and grabbing $150, $200 phone for every single person who wants to be a developer and build okay. off of it. Now there's going to be some differences Obviously, in there, but I think this would allow you to to, you know, build off of uh,
1: the Ubuntu platform in a very cost-effective way. So it's thirty-five dollars for the motherboard, but then you got to add a touch screen display, and then you have to have a mobile battery pack so that you can power this thing, and then you need to have a case that fits all of those things. You don't have to
2: have a case that fits all that. So you're just going to carry the the little I have an LCD screen that's separated. It has its own stand that you just plug the Raspberry Pi in. Yeah, but
1: okay, But uh, again, like, what are you doing with this? So, uh, OK, yeah, all right. Great. So off of it. Right. But I'm just saying, like, it's fine for, like, developing apps again for the mysterious user. But again, we don't have a thing that I can go take to. A person and say here's a thing that you can run a bunch of touch like that th- this doesn't fill that niche right yeah it's one more place that people can develop apps but let's be honest if my understanding of the way that that the that a bunch of touch newbie ports has developed any anything that's developed in qt could run on it right so it's not like we didn't wow. previously it's not like you couldn't do it on a, on a desktop before and you now did, that we can do it on a pi you can, right? and
2: now you're just you're just Putting vinegar in their cereal. Oh, sorry. And they were
1: eating good cereal. It was sorry.
2: crunch, my favorite cereal, and then you just took a bunch of white vinegar and poured it. And just it dumped in and it right in there. That's terrible. You out. know
1: what? I think this is a great idea. I apologize. Well,
0: Thank I you. mean, even even let's just <laughs> like you're right that vinegar is not very tasty. But let's let's say that uh if you take I think that I, I think the already the audience for Ubuntu Touch as far as on the phones go, is absolutely the people who care about the privacy and care about security sure, and are fully sure. aware that neither option Google or Apple are the are good options like agree with
1: you 100% so far
0: so that that so i think that we need a phone that has a you know a more uh, easy accessible a way to do it rather than going to get really old phones and agree i think i think that's what the pine phone is and i think that the well it's it will be hopefully Uh, Not right now, it isn't, but it will be hopefully. Uh, But the Raspberry Pi provides a way for someone to become a developer on it who doesn't have those phones and isn't able to and wants to get involved right now and isn't able to get one of the phones that are supported. I think that that's a good idea overall. And it also, in addition to that, makes it possible for them to work on the Unity 8 aspect of Ubuntu Touch because it's not just the mobile aspect that they're doing, they're also building the DE for Ud8, which is a cute based uh, de for the desktop. so they have there's there's multiple values of doing that using the pie because it has the ubiquitous nature of the pie as well as having the option to work on the mobile version, work on the <laughs> desktop version, make apps for the things like that kind of thing.
2: To Noah's okay. point though, I think the pine phone makes more sense, right? If pine phone, when it releases, right, they come out and say, "This is our now standard equipment that we're going to use that everybody develops on." That makes more sense, yes. but it's not out yet. And there really is nothing out right now that right. Ubuntu touch to develop on natively outside of what we're waiting for with the pine phone. And I think a Raspberry Pi is it's cool. It's kind of an interim solution, and I think they could get some good work potentially done off of it from developers who typically may not contribute to that project. But the one thing I'm the most happy, regardless if it works on Raspberry Pi or it becomes the Pine phone, is that Ubuntu Touch is getting so much popularity because it's deserved it. They've done a fantastic job uh, on this operating system. It needs more developers and more people involved in it if we ever want it to become this big thing. But every, even including the Volafone and things we talked about last week are planning to have Ubuntu Touch. It's a name that people recognize out there as a free and open source operating system alternative that when you release a phone, people are going to ask immediately, does it support Ubuntu Touch? And that's a really good sign for them. And I think hopefully more people will get involved in that project. The people they have are ridiculously talented already um, because it's, I think, one of the most exciting mobile operating systems out. Agreed. So also in the news regarding mobile OS phones and devices for Linux is the privacy-based Librem 5 device has finally shipping to end users this time. Uh, As some may recall, the first batch only made it into the hands of those that worked for the company, which was a sudden change of direction because originally they made it out like people who signed up for that batch were going to get it, but they had only, it seems, sent it to internal folks. But this next batch is actually getting into the hands of end users and we're starting to see some posts finally from those end users who are receiving their device. Some have taken to Reddit, for instance, to post pictures and answer questions that people have about the device. Um, But a couple of those posts that I uh, stumbled upon, unfortunately, the negativity has been so harsh that they've completely abandoned their IMAs there and said, I'm not answering any more questions or asked for the mods to shut it down um so there's a lot of negativity uh around this device based on suspicions um that you know people are saying oh you must work for the company if anybody says anything nice about the device or um just in general disliking the direction of how purism has handled this entire launch um so Looking at from the pictures of the device and what I could gather in some of the videos, the device does look like it's much better quality than what some were anticipating. If you remember, mm-hmm. they had put in their post something about you know buttons not quite fitting right, the case not fitting right, that type of stuff, and I didn't see anything there, at least in the pictures, that would lead me to believe the device was incomplete. Um, some of the issues, however, that people are reporting include inability to hear audio on calls, so you can't make calls on it yet um voice over lte and wi-fi calling do not work fast battery discharge can't access either camera or utilize bluetooth and you're not able to set the network
1: mode oh. <laughs> so <clears throat> and we're in 2019 and android and irs have about 15 years on us so
2: uh, of course you know you can expect some issues to happen when you have an early adopter device and there is some level of room that for instance, even in my Pinebook Pro video, you know, when that device launched, there's some give that you say it's a $199 device. I expect there's some things that may not be perfect. In this case though, some of the basic features not working that you would expect from a phone. And I mean, basic features like, like a phone, able to make a call,
0: yeah.
2: um, not working is, is a little odd at the least, um, especially when you have a $699 asking price on top of that. Um now most of these things will likely be fixed in the software at some point. The obviously, well, that's good because the calls can connect, <laughs> you just can't hear anybody. The it has the ability to make calls. Um, some of the some of the positive stuff to try to keep this positive, and then I'll let Noah loose. Is the screen is bright and good quality, right? People reporting the screen looks great. It boots in under 10 seconds, Noah. It comes with a very nice handwritten note, thinking the purchaser. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: sorry. Well, (laughs) that will make me feel better as I'm not making my phone calls on my new $700 smartphone. I have a handwritten note.
2: And the SIM from T-Mobile has been tested and it does work. So SIM cards from the U.S. carriers are working, and I, that's great. And on,
3: how, how do they know it's working if they can't make calls?
2: Well, it, it connects to the call, but then it downgrades you down to three G. So it's connecting through the three G connection, but you can't hear anything. But you know that you've you've connected.
1: It initiates
0: so, calls, but it doesn't does actually it, does it do video. Yeah, it calls. Sounds great. The, yeah. cameras, the, cameras, no, the cameras, the cameras. No, the cameras don't work. work
2: so you can't FaceTime or anything like that. You know. But the purism hasn't had the smoothest of launches, we know. Okay, but what you don't (laughs) say. (laughs) But their intention to sell a privacy-focused device (laughs) is welcome, right? I mean, I'm very happy there's a company out there trying to create a device that's privacy-focused. It just seems like, as we've said before, they
1: bit off more than they could chew. All right, go Noah. Okay, so. Where to start with the phone that doesn't work as a phone? Probably there. <laughs> I commend their effort. I do. I think it's a great idea. I think that a privacy-focused phone is great. I think that you should focus on making a phone that works if you're going to make a privacy-focused. Like, I just want to reframe this discussion a little bit. So here's what we're starting with. Android and iOS kind of rule the world as far as the mobile market goes. That's just the world that we're in. So if you want to sell a successful product, you ha- that's that's your competition. Whether you like it or not, that's your competition. People that care about privacy and happen to be using an Android phone or an iOS, that's your starting point. So from there, here are your choices. You can, A, take a version of Android and modify it heavily to, to lock it down, which people are doing, and there are all sorts of Android derivatives that, mm-hmm. that do that. Now, understand that they are using the same... Drivers to operate the radios and stuff like that is Android, so they're not having to reengineer the, the you know from the from the ground up, but the trade off is the phone works and it can it connect to LTE something that anybody purchasing a phone that's going to be like like checkbox number one on the box is does the phone power on and connect to a network and can I use that? that's the advantage in going that route, in just modifying a version of Android. So what Librem is trying to do, to the best of my understanding, is kind of do this from the ground up if we were going to kind of do everything. And while that's commendable and respectable, Apple buys up Gorilla Glass like... No, tomorrow there's never going. It's 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 going it's a far feat to think that you're going to build a phone from scratch. So now you're left with can you buy pre-existing shells or can you cobble something together or can you flash your operating system onto something? And so then the question becomes, is that operating system a better user experience and more privacy focused than, you know, than the alternatives? And here's what I'm hearing. Sailfish OS, by the way, works flawlessly right out of the box. You just install it. It just works. It's running on Lix. It's running with Lux encryption. It has an app ecosystem. It does connect to the internet. All the radios work. The phone works. The dialer works. It may not be a privacy-focused OS, but it's certainly an operating system that is built by people that aren't Google and have things like privacy on their mind, even if that's not the focus of the operating system. So... I, I, I'm i not saying it's not a good effort and I'm not saying I'm not glad that they have the success that they do. And I'm always glad for competition in the market space. I'm just saying there are 755 better alternatives to a privacy focused phone than what I'm hearing about. Well, Libra.
2: people will argue that, you know, Purism has taken on, of course, the operating system and the hardware. But specifically, they'll argue with you on the hardware mm-hmm. that the reason why Purism is more costly is the fact that they have created independent modules and and field switches and things within this device Mm -hmm. uh, to make it more privacy focused. And Mm -hmm. the people who are getting this device are under the impression that this is very much a launch device, meaning you are part of the testing Mm -hmm. uh, as a part of getting this device. And so you should expect to have issues like this. Now, I don't agree with that. I'm just telling you what people are going to argue back that it's far different than going and getting an Android device with their closed source Bluetooth drivers, their closed source Wi-Fi, their closed source,
1: uh, you know, they work. But I mean, yeah, they're closed source.
2: Yes. And, and therefore, that's why this device, you know, is more costly, why it's so thick and why there's so many
1: I, I'm going to I'm going to go from trying to be uh, from trying to be nice. and 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 <laughs> that and was your nice logic. That was nice. Here's not nice you're doing more damage to the overall community by releasing this non-working piece of crap than you are just not (laughs) existing in the market. The reality is the next time somebody comes up and says we want to do, when a System76, for example, comes along and says we want to do a privacy-focused phone, somebody who actually has a track record of introducing products that work, that value privacy if they were to come along and say that we're going to do this all of a sudden everybody is tainted Ah, oh, that's just another android knockoff thing somebody trying to whatever you know it actually does we do real harm here and i think and i mean and i'm not even we're not even going to talk about their past indiscretions with uh their choice of ads right it's just to release a product like this in this state and try to call this success i've been saying since Whatever, April or March, when they came out, and they're like, "We're going to ship a phone." You're not going to ship a phone. You're not going to ship a phone. And if this is your excuse for shipping a phone, you haven't shipped a phone. So I, I, I just, I, I really, really, really want Todd and the Purism team to take a step back and say, "Okay, what can we do well? What problem in the community can we solve well?" And I think. There are plenty of privacy focused problems and plenty of room for a company focused specifically on privacy. But you need to understand that audience. And that audience are not the kind of people that want a top-tier, you know, beautiful, elegant lines, all of those things, you know, fast natured phone. They want something secure and private. And the kind of people that want smooth, sleek silk, the whole nine yards, they're fine taking a little bit of a hit on their privacy but they won't take any hit on usability. The first time I got into a car, and I won't say who it is or what was happening, but with an experimental uh, operating system that the name is well known, and we got into a car, we went to go somewhere, and he was using it as a daily driver, and I said, how do we get to blah, blah, blah? And he's like, I don't know, the GPS app doesn't work on this thing. I'm like, I, I'm not going back to 2005. Like, I'm not going back to to right. to 2005 with my Palm Handspring Visor Trio uh, running Palm OS. I'm sorry. Like like, <laughs> I, ex- I did too, in 2005, I wouldn't yeah, want to use it there today. You go, there you go, I, you know, I, I expect when I pull my phone out of my pocket, I need to be able to make phone calls. So it's kind of a function of having a cell phone. I expect to be able to connect to LTE. I expect to be able to connect to Wi-Fi. I expect to be able to use some sort of navigation app. I expect to be able to send some but sort of But you'll be able
2: message. to do that at some point with this device, Noah, at some point, I think. Yeah, they, they should, keep saying that, don't they? They, they should. Meanwhile,
1: arrive. meanwhile, meanwhile, as we keep waiting for that, that magical day to arrive, meanwhile, Apple and Android continue to advance their platform and actually begin to start to address some of these issues. Now, I'm not claiming that Android or iOS is some privacy-focused platform now, but in the latest version of Android, for example, a step in the right direction, I might point out, when, I, when, it, when an app tries to access the camera in the background or access the microphone in the background, it, I get a little pop-up. It's kind of ominous. Hey, hey.
2: iOS has had that for two years. Welcome to right.
1: the Right. No, but my point is they are starting to address that, right? Both Apple and Google are starting to say people kind of sort of care about this. Let's throw them a bone. And it's, you know, does that that security function? Is there any actual encryption or security or forcing mechanism to ensure that anything ever grabs the mic, that that message pops up? Probably not. But it's a step in the right direction. And I, I guess my point is all it takes is Google or Apple to look over and be like, what are these people? Are they doing that? Okay, all right do what they're doing and just implement that. Next release, okay? And that's not even like a major shift for these companies. It's just task it four or five guys that are sitting on the develop thing say, hey, could you look into this whole privacy thing and see if it's something we can just knock out for them so that the people start complaining, just make it a point release, right? I, I, I just really question if this is the best use of, you're taking people that are in the community and they're gonna spend their money on these things and they're gonna bring these back into their homes and then they're going to try to live their lives all of these things and how... Show of hands, how many people think that they're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to have satisfactory results, no matter what your expectations really are with this first generation, essentially prototype? So, like, I just really have a hard time with it.
2: Nobody and raised think, their hands.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. I think that we're doing more harm than good. And I've got a question. So I've paid my $799 and I've now got my prototype phone. Mm-hmm. Will an update further down the line make my phone usable? or is this a hard Theoretically,
2: no, this is, I think it will be. Software, sure. I think it's software based for sure. But you know, I can't argue with anything you're saying, Noah, honestly, this is, I I know that they're trying to come across as, this is a prototype, people signed up for this, but you can't prototype basic functionality not working and charge people $700 for the privilege to have a not working device. It's just, this wasn't ready. They're just trying to get it out there to prove everyone to say, look, we, we shipped something, Something's out there, good Mm -hmm. luck. And then now they're launching saying, hey, we're gonna, don't worry, we're gonna have a new iteration in 2020 where a new version of this is gonna come out. And I hope they get it right, but I think your advice to them is perfect. They really, as somebody who has led people for for a lot, most of my career, there are times where you have to step back and ask yourself, what are we good at? Yes. And then you take that and then you push that forward with your team. Play to your strengths. They have to play to their strengths, and they unfortunately they have, they've bit off more than they can chew, and it has shown they can recover, they can fix this, and I will mm-hmm. tell you I will be the first one when they release something that is usable to, to celebrate this company and say thank you for doing this to the community, Thank you for bringing this forward. you know you've learned let's move on, but until that time,
1: imagine this that. Uh, Imagine this. Imagine a device, imagine a $250 phone that's privacy focused, secure by default, encrypted by default, and it doesn't even have LTE. The only thing it has is Wi-Fi. And so if if you're going to get onto a network and you team up with Proton, you know, and you you go to them and you say, "Hey, we want to release this device. Here's what we want." And so, the device, when you connect it to the network by default, just like Tails automatically connects to the Tails network, this automatically connects through Proton VPN and your your internet connection, so you can feel safe browsing, uh, secure by default. Maybe there is no front facing camera, and the back camera has a little physical thing that slides over it, so it can open and close, uh, and so you can prevent the 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 you know the, the, this camera from being accessed, uh, even if you can't. Tightly control the software because you have to rely on some binary blobs to turn the camera on and off, and so you you get some physical workarounds to get those kinds of things. And it's a privacy-focused, you know, uh, essentially computer, not necessarily smartphone replacement, but computer that is a product people are would be interested. At least there is a market for that. There are people that are so interested in privacy that would trade with the convenience of being connected to the internet 24/7. And then you get people like me that I like my smartphone being connected 24/7, but golly gee, am I like open to the idea of maybe we shouldn't have everything on the internet 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Maybe we Mm -hmm. should try to find ways to bring that data back more local and if the time when I am connected to the internet, it's going through this VPN system by default and it's securing all my communications, like now I can start to see how, where that products, you know, where the audience is and and who would buy that kind of product and those kind of things. But man, when you are trying to go after Apple and this is your approach, like, I, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know where to begin yeah i agree no.
0: and it sounds it sounds like you're saying is like uh maybe like uh, as uh nicojet in the, in the chat says uh like a open source ipod touch approach yes
1: Right. Exactly. An open source iPod touch style of a thing. I want a local piece of technology that I can purchase and I own the thing and I don't have to worry about it leaking my information or the photos I take on this device I'm going to carry with me. I don't want them leaked to iCloud. That's what I want. I want to go to my kid's birthday party and take pictures. I can get behind a device like that, but you don't need like everything down to the microcode. The processor doesn't necessarily have to be open source for that model to work. You can get there without killing yourself. And the answer is focus on less. And don't try to do everything the iPhone can do. Don't try to make an Android replacement. Just make a good solid product on the market that people are interested in buying. And if you look at people that are interested in privacy, if you look at the Richard Stallmans of the world, they 're not interested in an Android or iOS replacement they're not interested in a Twitter client or a Instagram client for for a, a third-party OS they just want a device that they could fit in their pocket and do the same kind of things like navigation and and get on telegram and stuff like that that all of their peers are doing with their devices they pull out of their pocket they just want to do it in a more secure and way and I we approached it that
2: line 64 right because yes. they came out and perfect said, We're going example to the hardware yes you guys figure out the software exactly but they got it into the hands of the perfect example of time Perfect.
1: Sure. So, and you know, and then we start to say, and as much as I joke, right, we start to see where some of this stuff to, comes together because now we start to see where UbiPorts really starts to fit in. Here yep. we have a hardware device that we need a, a secure enough operating system that we can own. And UbiPorts is there to, to answer that. Equation, and I would say the same thing about my beloved Sailfish OS. It's an operating system specifically designed for people who want a Linux-based operating system that they can install themselves onto a piece of hardware that they commodity hardware that they purchase. I think something like the Pine, uh, the, the Pine phone, and and Ubi ports, and or Sailfish OS fit perfectly. If Librem wanted to do something like that, or make another physical device to compete with like the librem or the, uh, the Pine phone, that I could see. Yep. I just don't understand
0: this. It's taking on too many, ta- too too big yes. of a task that they can't handle. It's just
2: too fast. Yeah, it's, it's a biting off more they can chew kind of thing.
1: We have they haven't. We still don't have the laptop thing perfected yet.
2: Yeah, and I don't want to eat our own. Uh, you know, but this. you no, just of course have to not. Call a spade a spade, and that this this was not a effective. This was not an effective product launch. And And they also want, they've been promoting that they around. I will be very happy to support them and, and give them all the praise. I honestly would because I like their mission. We would like to be wrong. They just have nothing to back it up right now. And that's, that's the issue. And I hope they get there. I'll be the first to cheer for them when they do. Yeah.
0: I mean, we we want to be wrong about this particular situation. And when this particular right. company's track record and stuff, we want to be wrong about it. But they have to make us wrong about it.
1: How, could, how great would it be if the phone just takes off and like people buy it right and left and it you know they put Google and Apple just out of business overnight? I mean, that would be great. I can't imagine anything better. It would we be would great. love a privacy-focused phone. And then once you get the user base, we all agree that all of these other problems are easy to solve. We all agree that the second it got mainstream adoption and people started using this phone all of a sudden people are going to say to themselves hey now there's a massive market now there's a bunch of people buying the phone we've got all the money in the world to fix radios and sign contracts and all that other stuff the problem is it's a chicken before the egg and people like me don't see how you're ever going to get the egg starting with the chicken yeah
3: so now moving on to some good news or it could turn out to be good news Linux powered handhelds return so some of you may recall the handheld pocket chip by Nexting. Um, it was a hackable handheld arm based device with a battery keyboard and removable microcomputer the pocket chip was aimed at gamers and hackers but didn't really take the market by storm as it was fairly limited in its capabilities and the keyboard was quite terrible so source parts using the popcorn computer brand is attempting to bring a next-gen version of this pocket chip back to life this is if they can hit their kickstarter goal of 50k so now we go on to some of the uh, features of this new device and I'm, i must admit that the first one for me is actually quite shocking they're going to have a 1920 by 1080 resolution with a 4.95 inch touchscreen 5 inches at 1920 by 1080 God, you're going to need some really powerful glasses to read that. <laughs> have RGB backlighting. They're going to have an unnamed 1.2 gigahertz quad-core Cortex A53 SoC, likely the all-winner H64, 2 gigabyte of DDR3 and 32 gigabyte of EMC EMMC memory, a 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi and Bluetooth 4, 4 USB-C connections, and wait for it. All this for hundred and ninety nine dollars, or if you want a wireless chip included, two hundred and ninety nine dollars. So my question is going to be: if I can get a PrimeBook Pro for one hundred ninety nine dollars or a PrimeBook phone for one hundred and fifty dollars, where's this going to fit in the marketplace? Who the are people use? who want
1: a laptop that fit in their pocket? Yes,
3: and it, had- and that's what this is going to have the capability of doing, is it?
2: I actually owned the pocket chip by next thing when it came out. Um, I was one of the the folks who purchased this device and then I got it and I turned it on and I was like, okay, what do I do now with this thing? Um, So I couldn't find a particular use case for it. I'm not saying there's not one. The pocket chip though was designed, it seems a lot around gaming, games you would love Zeb, very pixelated ones. Um, whereas this device seems to be more geared towards, especially with the connections for USB-C connections and things, as having that kind of portable, I wouldn't say laptop alternative, but more of like a portable kind of tablet that you could do potentially. I don't know, Noah, is this something you could use even with the USB-C yes. connections to plug into servers and say, do some basic you know, monitoring, see what's going on, pull up an error log, that type of thing? What, what would you or just
1: use Or just have a device on me that, like, I can store data on, right? This, kind of, this all kind of ties together with the Pine phone, with the, with the with Ubi ports, with um, the Librem phone. Like, there is a, I really believe there is a market for people that trust their laptops, like their laptops, because they're system administrators, because they have a certain workflow, because they have certain tool sets that they count on. And those tool sets do not exist on android and or on ios and so there is there are two there are two ways of going about this the first thing is there are the people that just take their laptop with their everywhere that's why this backpack comes with me and is it never more than a foot away from me and then there's the other kind of people who have tried to reinvent the wheel through the mobile operating systems but the mm-hmm. problem with the mobile operating systems route is again as we've discussed at nauseum none of us really actually trust iOS or or, or Android. And so we mm-hmm. need another solution. So as companies are doing stuff like this, I think the original pocket PC was, in my opinion, was the Lib- uh, was the Libretto 70CT or 50CT uh, made by Tashi, but was a pocket size like, 5-inch computer. I still have mine. It ran at the time, Windows 95, and had all of the functionality, features, ports, the whole thing you'd need off of a laptop except it fit inside of your pocket. And then we did the UMPC thing for a while, and that didn't really take off, and Sony kind of tried it, and it, it never really took off mainstream. And I think as those computers kind of died off and people have gone towards now wanting technology they care in their pocket uh there's even more of a draw for a device like that and so i don't think i think gpd has kind of touched on it and almost kind of Mm, got it and they kind of backed off for linux i think something raspberry pi level pine level is way better
3: but wouldn't your selfish os do things that this thing could do so wouldn't that be
1: able
2: you could put selfish on it
1: probably
3: yeah i mean that's kind of what i'm trying to do but again like you
1: know looking at the photos of this thing it looks like this is designed as a laptop that fits in your pocket a physical keyboard usb ports that mount and unmount uh, media and you're right I, I have hacked i i'm using sailfish os to fill this need i'm not convinced that sailfish os is the only thing that could fill this need or that it couldn't be mm-hmm. improved upon or something couldn't be done better uh, at this moment yeah i would agree if you're looking for an alternative to android or ios and you're you're Primary purpose is to have something Linux uh, Linux based that is secure and and has the functionality of uh, of, of a Linux computer. Then I agree, Sailfish OS is a place to go. So mm-hmm. one of the
2: things that was a disaster on the Pocket PC, the the original Pocket Chip, the original one was the keyboard itself. Uh, it had very small circular keys. They were very hard to press. Typing anything was a disaster on it. But if you look at this new redesigned device prototype they have, it actually looks really nice. They have the nice rubberized raised keyboard keys uh, that looks like you could actually type on this device effectively and do some Mm. commands and things on it. I think it's neat and the price is right because the big holding block, I think, for things like the P3530 when it came out, which is the Sony you were talking about. Noah, which I wanted one so bad, but the price was insane. It was like $800 when it came out for this little tiny pocket PC, if I recall. And then you have the GPD pocket PC, which is still a pretty high-priced little device to stick in your pocket, but is probably the best thing out there right now. This kind of hits that sweet spot for me on price of something that, hey, I may not use it all the time, but then again, it's only $199. So you know that's, that's not a terrible amount of money to invest in something uh, should it not work out perfectly. I just don't know if the form factor, the way they've done the keyboard and things is is going to, um, well, hopefully it looks a lot like the prototype and it'll be a lot better than the pocket chip. But it's interesting, little device. They've only raised $3,000 of the 50 they need. So if this is something you are interested in, it definitely could use some support.
0: Yeah, it looks like it has a lot of potential. I kinda, it kind of reminds me of like a combination of like a netbook and a Switch. In a way, it's it's a, it's an interesting concept, and I think it looks if it if the prototype becomes the real one, I think it looks pretty good, and uh, hopefully they are able to you know make it come to reality.
3: Yep,
1: Fedora Workstation is in a little hot water because they're getting complaints over the GNOME App Store recommending. Are you ready for this proprietary software? Say it the ain't issue so. Is, <laughs> the issue is when Flatpak support is enabled, the GNOME Software Store will run banners promoting things like. Are you ready for this? Spotify and (gasps) Dropbox No, there. And I know this is going to be a game changer for you. I know this is going to be shocking. They're not FOSS. Oh, my gosh. The suggestions at this point are that Fedora to filter these results out. And, of course, this begs the question, should Linux software stores promote proprietary software that, you know, everybody that runs on a Linux box probably hasn't sold anyway, or are these banners just harmless promoters of, the software that everybody wants to install when they sit down to their desktop, like I, you're never going to find anybody more like interested in doing things with free and open source software. You're never going to find anybody more interested in self-hosting and doing those things. That said, the you know what the last thing we really need on the Linux desktop is right now. We really don't need people trying to figure out ways to take the pieces of software that the vast majority of people want to use when they get onto the platform and figure out ways to like move that out of the way so that people don't think. To install that. Like, we don't need that. That's not a, I, I don't think that's a valuable thing we should be working on. Like, I'm sure there are probably free and open source respecting, you know, alternatives to things like Spotify. I just yeah. use QMMP, but. The, the If you don't want Spotify, you just won't install Spotify. And if you want Spotify, chances are you don't care if it's pr- proprietary or not, right? I don't have Spotify installed on well, my computer. I care less if the App Store recommends it.
2: And by the way, I don't disagree with you at all. But just for the devil advocate position, people are sure. stating, why do you need a banner? Why not use that banner, that big space at the top when you open up to promote open source and not promote proprietary software, which people like you said are probably going to go and install anyways. Mm -hmm. uh why not use that as an opportunity to promote some of the open source software instead
3: because i think it's a clever way of letting people know that if you're coming from windows you can get this software and it's really easy bingo because the job of
1: the banner is not to promote one thing or the other. The job of the banner is to direct users in the to help them find the things that they want to find. So when they open up this, the the app store, if eighty five percent of users are installing Skype and Spotify and uh, I don't know Microsoft Edge, I guess is a thing that we're yeah. gonna have to deal with now on, on Linux. Like if those are the things that people are opening up to install then a team viewer, for example, right? Then it doesn't matter if they're open, so what the license is, what matters is the user satisfaction is going to be directly proportional to how fast they can find those things. And it's mm-hmm. why Martin Wimperis, inside of the Ubuntu Mate launcher, has all sorts of apps that it will just go out and install because he knows, like everybody else knows, that's ever supported anybody that's transitioned to Linux. They just want to use the same programs they've used on whatever platform they're coming from. And the more of those boxes we can check, the happier they're going to be. And yeah. if you're a person that cares about free and open source, don't install those apps. Just put a little red banner that says this software is not free and open source or a little like tagline or, or, if or the set an option. Isn't there.
0: just make an option in the system and the software app.
1: Now that's the recommendation, right? To have filters. I, I just, I feel like we're spending time solving problems that, I'm not. They not exist. They're
0: saying they're saying the suggestion and they were they were giving was to have like a filter in the system. I'm saying like right. an option for the users to say I only want to see FOSS stuff. Don't show me anything else. But like that shouldn't be the default. We
2: need to spend resources building that out. I mean,
0: exactly, I don't think so. Exactly.
1: No. So we're gonna take some developer and we're gonna ask him, hey, instead of fixing this bug or fixing this thing, could you please go out of things so that it doesn't show any of the proprietary? Like, why do we have I to agree. bury our heads in the sand? The people okay, so that um, are the people that care about FOSS, it's not like it's some like, you know, evil infection. It's just you it want to stick your head in the sand because you don't want to see the other software options that are out there. It doesn't make any sense to me.
3: I'm just wondering though, you mentioned a very good point there that Ubuntu Mate has all of these proprietary software applications in their software boutique and you can install them at a click yeah. of a button. Are people particularly concerned because isn't Fedora meant to be a a a a starting point? with FOSS and they make it a little bit difficult to get all these other proprietary bits and pieces in. Isn't that what Fedora was originally? Because I know that you have to put yeah, codecs
2: and stuff like that, right?
3: Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So are they going to fuss because it's Fedora and they're worried that they're losing a mainstream FOSS advocate by having these? I mean, I think it's well, a it's really that... not
2: Fedora, it's the gnome store that Fedora pulls in and they're wanting Fedora to basically create some filtering to the gnome store that they pull in for the desktop part and you know I, I i try to see this side because yes i want foss software to be the most popular i want people to understand it i want people to give it a try instead of just going to the mainstream thing that they've always tried their whole life because i think they'll find in a lot of cases the foss alternative is just as good if not better at the same time i think what you guys said is Absolutely, the truth. You want people who are coming to it for the first time to start with the software they're comfortable with and not immediately boot back into Windows because they go, Hey, I needed that Spotify that I couldn't figure Mm -hmm. out any way to get it on there except this 800 command line terminal voodoo thing they want me to put in that I don't even know what it does to get it installed. And, you know, that's an issue. I, you know, I don't know, we need to throw it in a banner though. You know, does it need to be in the banner? Why not have a little highlight? And I, I, I guess you could argue it, but that's really an argument towards GNOME software, not towards Fedora. Because yeah, it's definitely you don't not want a Fedora. Fedora thing. Wasting their time doing this. I think it's a okay, waste so of time for
0: Fedora. I don't think it's a waste of time for GNOME because that applies to all distros that use the GNOME software. And I think if they wanted to do that, that's fine to create. Not don't put it in the banner. You don't need to promote it's it. It's like,
2: GNOME, not GNOME. I just wanted to help you out. No, it's, it actually it it actually is GNOME. is GNOME. No, it's it's a GNOME.
0: It's okay, Cazone, uh, you can be no, you, no. you can be garong if you want. It's fine. So garong, <laughs> there's there's uh, there's. <laughs> I think they shouldn't do the banner idea because I think that would be like it would send a negative me- message to the people who don't care, and like it, the people who do care could just go and have a setting that says, "Okay, this is a, a tag that says it's proprietary. I don't want it." Okay, so that I, could be fine. I'm, but gnome I'm should tell do me it. This.
3: Is it only proprietary software that hits that banner, or does? No, it f- I don't software?
0: think.
2: So. I don't know but I don't think so. No, it's they it's,
0: it's, it's going it's just a combination. there's like this is people what they, they look at it and then say this is what people want and they give it to them. And like it could be they they could also want Firefox on something distro that doesn't Probably have that about Well Probably based on their most downloaded apps.
3: Well, I've got three simple words that can sum this up, yeah. Get over it.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Pretty much. It's called no. Our spotlight this week is the best password manager on the planet, Bitwarden. It is a, well, just one of, the be- one of the best things about uh, Bitwarden is not only is it a great password manager, but it's also cross-platform and open source. You can it have... It should go
2: on the banner for GNOME.
0: Yeah, why not? It, sh- it yes. totally should. They That's one of the things that they should consider. Uh, Bitwarden is a great application. If you've ever wanted to use any kind of uh, password management, this is one... In my opinion, it's the best option, period. So uh, it has access to... Uh, mobile apps for Android and iOS. You can ha- you have a desktop application. You can have integration with your br- various browsers that you use. It has a lot of different features. The really, really cool stuff. It also has the ability to uh, sync all your devices without any issues. You can store as many items in your vault as much as, as much as you want. There's no limits. And this is all for the free version, by the way. You can have secure notes, logins, credit cards, uh, even much more all kinds of stuff you can do whether you do password generation you can do passphrase generation and you can do two factor two factor authentication you can self host it your own your own your own server if you want to and all of this stuff you can do for free now they have a premium version if you want but it's ridiculously cheap it's ten dollars a year so if you want to give them a thank you for doing this this the creating this software you can do that for a very small can it amount. make
2: phone calls
0: well they don't they don't claim that they could well, so i feel like
2: we have put this on a different standard than we did other things we discussed you can put it show. on a phone
0: that has the ability to do phone calls that's that's an act that's oh, an option cool. that's a, that's a benefit yeah uh well,
3: <laughs> well the good news is after this particular spotlight people will know about it so every, gonna be they, that's wow.
0: true they will know about wow. it. But uh, the, one of the things I like about it is that there's a quote from them that's about, about the open source aspect. They say, we believe that being open source is one of the most important features of Bitwarden. Source code transparency is absolute requirement for software solutions like Bitwarden. And that is that kind of like a philosophy in that standpoint is why I think Bitwarden is such a great piece of software. Like they recognize the importance of this and they've also been audited. They've had like for many years, they've had like a casual audits and like bug fixes and stuff like that. But they've also had a full audit with the uh, cure 53, which is like one of the top three companies that yeah. do this sort of thing. And they've, and, and they've, they did never they'd find any huge big bugs and all the bugs they did find were minor and they fixed them all. So like, I think Bitwarden is a, a solid option. And if you want to do Password Manager, definitely check it out. At least consider it at anyway. And if you also already have a Password Manager, it has support for migration for like everything. So,
2: yeah, just- I was on LastPass. You wouldn't shut up about Bitwarden. So I was like, fine, Michael, I'll give it a try. And you were right. It's it's better. It, it's the best password manager I've ever used Yeah,
0: by and, far. And also we not only did uh, I convinced Ryan, uh, he convinced me to do a video about it with him. So we have actually some videos on our channels about Bitwarden. So you can find out like we go into much more depth about why Bitwarden is great. And we do like tutorials about like uh, d- how to how to do migrations, how to do different things in the in the different videos. So be sure to check those out. I'll have a link to those in the description in the show notes as well.
1: We'll talk about self-hosting and we encourage you to self-host. In fact, hey, if you're looking for a password manager, you should probably self-host it and you could probably self-host Bitwarden. here's the problem. You say to yourself, self, I'd love to self-host. I don't have the time to figure out how to set up a LAMP stack. There's a, there's like four things I'd have to set up. That's why it says, you know, like I don't want to do all of those things. How do I just get the self-hosted thing ready to run? Well, one option is you could go to slash dl and use one of, DigitalOcean's one-click and you know installers, but what if you wanted to have that kind of functionality? on your own hardware, what would you do? Well, you'd go to turnkeylinux.org, and Turnkey Linux is a site that has pre-built VMs for everything you can imagine. They have a LAMP stack, they have WordPress, they have a file server, they have OpenVPN, they have Redmine, they have OpenLDAP, OTRS if you wanted the ticket system, a domain controller. How would you like a free domain controller for Windows systems? How would you like to spin up an instance of GitLab? How would you like a media server? How would you like MySQL, Torrent server, Postgres? You name it. They've got all of these pre-built VMs and they're available at the site, turnkeylinux.org. And so I went to set up a, a blog and I clicked on their little app thing and I went, okay, I want you know, a content system. I wonder what's available for blogging. And I came across a new uh, a platform that I had not previously played with. Michael, you're probably familiar with it, Ghost. And I thought, well, I don't know if Ghost is good or bad or better than WordPress, but I'd like to check it out. So I just downloaded the turnkey appliance, imported it into D, and started it up. And, like, in five seconds, I had a Ghost platform. And then they, it, walks, it has a little guide, a little wizard that walks you through changing some of the default passwords and stuff. And you can have a full-on running a server just by downloading this thing from turnkeylinux.org. And I came across this I thought, why is nobody talking about this site? There's not some sort of like got you that, you know, it only works for 30 days and then you have to like sign up for an account to get it to keep going or it doesn't seem like they do anything terribly weird on the back end. They just, you know, they have some install scripts and stuff. It just seems like a really cool site and nobody really talks about it. So I thought I'd bring some attention to it. And Make it this week's tips and tricks.
0: I agree, and uh, I I never talked about it because I didn't know it existed. So thank you. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think and Ghost is a great platform. It's a it's mostly a static based static site mm-hmm. generator type thing, and Ghost is a really good option. And if you and this is a really cool way to really quickly get, try it in comparison to other things. It has WordPress too, so you can test it out if you want to. That's pretty. I, I like it, so I'm definitely gonna try it out after the show. In nine months. Well, technically, I said after the show any time after the show is accurate. <laughs> I didn't say right after.
2: A big thank you for each and every one of you for <laughs> supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons. So we just wanna give a special shout out to all of you for your support. We do a live show for our patrons so you can come and join us and be a part of the show. And we've also recently added sponsors to the mix. Kofi is going away, so if you are a Kofi subscriber today, please move over to the Sponsors platform as we will soon be discontinuing that, but you can join us on Patreon or or Patreon or Sponsors and get all the same perks and tiers all for one low low price that is frankly darn near free. We give it
1: away all of these extra hours of the show that you could watch. Speaking of support, become a part of the G community by going to DestinationLinux.network and joining our GNU forums, our GNU mumble server, all running on GNU Linux. And we have Linux for everybody, das Geek this week in Linux, The Ask Noah Show, Tux Digital, Zebedee Boss. Basically, if there's a show about Linux and you want to hear it, you can probably find it at DestinationLinux.network, just saying. There are so many methods that you can... Interact with us so many methods in, in ways to which you can get in contact with. In fact, if you can't think or imagine a way to get in contact with us or communicate with us or participate with us, then you're not trying hard enough because we're on Telegram, we're on Discord, discourse Twitter, Mastodon. Any way that you, I mean, I, do we have Facebook? We should probably have Facebook. Probably we probably
2: don't have Facebook. We don't have Facebook
1: because Ryan no. doesn't like social networks. Yes. But if you want to join us, like there are so many freedom and privacy respecting ways to do so, and all of them are available to you on one simple website destinationlinux.network. So go to destinationlinux.network. Visit there. See all the stuff that we have. See all of the infrastructure that Michael took together. And you know, if all of that infrastructure is there, he probably started working on it seven and a half years ago.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I just, I, I, cre- I I was working on creating the network like five years ago. So you're pretty close. Michael. You're pretty close.
2: We know, Michael. We know. Michael. <laughs>
3: So please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any questions you may have. There are numerous methods you can do this. Email, and this is what I forgot earlier on in the show, comments at destinationlinux.org. So send in your emails or send in your little video clips. Please keep the comments and questions coming. We love to read them and hear of ways we might be able to improve the show. You can also find us on our Telegram group, our Discord, Discourse, Twitter, Mastodon, and a plethora of other ways that Michael has put together at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. And finally, don't forget to join our Mumble server. Chat with the community, set up gaming sessions, and enjoy networking.
0: And if you want more content, the fun does not stop here. We have our own channels that you can check out. You can check out Ryan at youtube.com slash dosgeek, where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. Uh, Zeb can be found on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash where you can find him playing uh, g- various games like Project Cars, uh, Euro Truck Simulator, all kinds of stuff on, on his YouTube channel. You can find my content at touchdigital.com where I do a, a in-depth weekly Linux news podcast. That's actually what I normally say. This Week in Linux and other Linux related contents. And you can f- check out Noah's show on the Ask Noah Show. He is a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Good Tuesdays. Join him, and he'll answer all the Linux and text and your tech good questions. So be sure to uh, l- like that smash button and share the show on social media. And everybody have a great good week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the dusted good nation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant, man. not going to lie. Thanks, everyone. That takes, that takes true dedication have a Thank good you. week see you next week good week <laughs> just a good nation
3: <laughs>
2: it's as I- awkward as saying good gnome <laughs> <laughs> <I'll-> <laughs>
3: <laughs> then we succeeded yes and for once that wasn't me so top, top dollar whoever did that i think it was yeah. ryan <laughs> oh, of course